Uh, no, I just <laughs> we'll probably edit it in post. I don't know if uh, Jeremiah is going to keep that. Um, so this week on Trap and Day podcast, we have the infamous, the great Clint Locklear, fur trapper, control trapper, lure maker, inspirational speaker, men's fitness ad- advocate, podcaster, author, director. Is there anything you can't do, man? Jeez. Uh, I can't do gymnastics. <laughs> yeah, I can. That would be that would be something. And obviously, I'm not to... I'm not very good at fishing, even though I live on a lake. No. No. I'm not good at I'm not good at hunting. I started I started off hunting, and then I found trapping, and I was I was I was ruined. I was done. <laughs> That's pretty much the end of my my uh, my hunting. Pretty much every now and then I'll go out and. You know, I like the the waterfowl and stuff like that. You know, a lot of action. Right, right. So, I want to ask you, and I don't want to go too heavy into this because I know people can find this everywhere. If you don't, uh, if you don't currently listen to Trapping Radio, uh, I believe it's the first Trapping podcast that was really out there and available. Um, highly recommend you check it out. It's weekly, um, and then also there's the Man Strong podcast, which is more of like a well, you describe it. Would, I, would you say it's like a men's physical and spiritual fitness sort of podcast is how I kind of would describe it. That's actually a very good way. I don't know how to describe that because sometimes it's just, you know, men need to be men and sometimes it's let's figure out how we can become men again without being so mentally and physically weak. So I I don't Mm -hmm. know. I've never really tried to put that in words, but that was, say that again so I can remember that. Uh, It's a men's physical and spiritual fitness uh, podcast outstanding you're hired <laughs> i'll be the uh, i guess i'm like the jeff dunlap to to jeremiah's podcast so i don't know what i'd be on yours i'd have to step below dunlap <laughs> and chip you know I'm the, I'm the i'm the guy they pull out of the bullpen when they're like listen we got to save this guy's arm or something before he <laughs> before we go to the playoffs <laughs> um i want to talk briefly about how you got into trapping because I know there's a lot of ways you, you talked about it on your YouTube channel on your podcast multiple times but just a quick rundown of how you got into trapping I'm pretty sure I remember correctly your first fur bearer you were you were uh, shooting beavers with 22s right for a fur buyer for a country fur buyer yeah that's correct uh, I didn't know that it was for the fur trade I didn't even know there was such thing as trapping um, the first time I saw traps my stepdad was trying to catch a dog i know what they are now they were victor number two coal springs uh square jaws and he was just setting them on top of the ground in front of a trash can trying to catch his dog because it was knocking over the trash every night so that was my only experience with trapping of course he never caught the dog and and then um being down in south alabama there was a guy in columbus georgia that was paying I mean, it was like $50, $60 for really big beaver, and that's pretty much all the beaver down there at that time. You know, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So we would get in a little bitty Toyota truck with a, like a 10-foot a John boat with a trolling motor and a spotlight and 22s and a frog gig, and we would just st- we'd see ponds on the side of the road the way it is down there, and we would just pull off in there and float around and look for stuff floating, and we would shoot it and most time have to frog gig because they would sink. So I know that a lot of a lot of people don't know if you've ever. And again, this there might be some statutes of limitations, but I've heard that when you shoot beaver, they don't always float. 
that that's true they don't so <laughs> so you know we would take them to the fur buyer hole which i didn't even i mean i know we bought fur but i didn't know have any concept that there was an industry wrapped around fur i just know this crazy guy would look at them and he would go like 30 40 50 dollars this one's 25 this one's 56 and right. that was a crap ton of money. I mean, today that would be probably the equivalent of $150 a beaver. What year was this? This would have been, say, I graduated 87. So sometime maybe in the 70s? Uh, early 80s. Early 80s. Okay. Yeah, because I was, I was talking to a, a customer. I do nuisance beaver control for a living. And uh, I was talking to a customer, and I was like, you got to understand that you know, when they were paying a dollar an inch for beaver pelts back in the day, that was a, like a, you know, a, a big blanket. It's going to be, you know, 65, maybe 69, you know, inches when you measure it, you know, both ways. I mean, that's the equivalent of like 200, $225 today. No, well, that was when I plugged into the inflation calculator. Right, I mean, right. Yeah. But just knows inflation is getting a little out of hand, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, when my mom found my stash of cash, I was making more on the weekends and they were making it full-time jobs and she thought I was doing drugs. Not doing them, wow. but selling them. Selling them, Because yeah. she just couldn't comprehend. You know, minimum wage back then was, if, if I remember correctly, the first minimum wage job I took, which was at Shoney's, was three thirty-five mm -hmm. an hour. Wow. So, you know, you go shoot a beaver for $50, probably average, or 45 or whatever it was. Or you could work, you know, 12 hours to make the same money. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that, yeah, exactly. that kind of got my brain going, this is pretty cool. And then, and then you really took up trapping for real when you were in the military station in Alaska, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was up there, you know, I was, you know, we're caribou hunting and black bear hunting and driving all over the place, just slaying salmon and trout and, and northern pike and... I was loving it, absolutely loving yeah. it. And then uh, a friend of mine, which is still a good friend today, Dennis Murphy, he was a captain back then. He came in one day and was all fired up about trapping. And of course, if you ever meet Dennis Murphy, if he's excited, you're excited because you can't help it. I mean, he's just one uh, of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I kind of get excited. And of course, this is before any type of internet or anything like that. And it, it is kind of like I was mulling it over. Well, in the military, you, you can think that you're going to be at home for six months and all of a sudden you're gone for six months. And that's kind of what happened to Dennis, I believe, because he, he had these registered trap lines on post. He had lure, he had traps, he had all these big plans. But for some reason, he couldn't do it. And he goes, hey, man, you want to try this? And I was like, sure. So right. I went to the video store. I got Mike Lipinski's uh, Wilderness Trapping, which was about uh, Martin Trapping in Montana. And I just mimicked what he did. And then I watched some Tom Miranda stuff. And I learned very quickly that trapping in Alaska is very different than trapping in six inches of snow where he was at. Because my snow was right. seven feet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I was making 1100 a month before they took out taxes. And then there was a, a Dean Wilson, which was the originator of the Manning Nine Trap, which I didn't know any of this at the time. 
he was paying $50 for Martin and the Red Fox I caught I think they were about 65 I believe most of them were about $65 so right, when this would have been probably mid, later 80s early 90s early 90s yeah early yeah 90s. so that's not still that's a decent amount of money back then yeah you know because it was that's a I mean that, that was like getting a a 40% raise on a monthly you know salary so I mean I just thought it was the most awesome thing in the world and then when did you when did you make the transition to land trapping when you moved back or when did you really start getting after like canines um see I got back the it's, it's crazy when I think about it now I'm in Alaska and I've got like a a disease to trap coyotes while I'm in Alaska, but there's no the back then there wasn't any coyotes in around Fairbanks, Alaska. I think mm -hmm. there are now, but there wasn't any then. So when I got out of the military, I actually tried to bring all my traps back, but my little S10 couldn't get it across the Canadian Rockies. So I had to sell my traps in a boat at a diner in Canada somewhere for like 200 bucks. That is the place to do it, though. If you try to do that at a diner in some places, they'll look at you like you're crazy. Oh yeah, now yeah, they they bought <laughs> if it. You're, quick. If you're gonna if you're gonna play that game, yeah, if you gotta if you gotta unload some traps real quick, a diner in Canada is your safest bet. It it is, and <laughs> I, I took that money, and I had an old uh, let's see the magazine would have been the paper one, so the the trapper and predator caller, but I think it had a different name then. Uh, mm -hmm. And I ordered uh, a bunch of number three long springs and, and traps from um, the guy in Wisconsin, Trapper Art. When I got to my mom's, they were already waiting on me, and I was so excited. And then I realized the season was over, you know, legally. <laughs> so, you know, that, so, but anyway, I, I did a bunch of water trapping. I did coyote trapping. I mean, I would catch you know 15 20 coyotes a year but it was mostly water trapping at the time and i really enjoyed mm -hmm. that and then i started beaver trapping for a county so that's when i started getting paid and then about two years into that the guys are going can you catch coyotes i'm like i can but i can't do that while i'm doing it for the county because they hired me for beaver so they put pressure on the county to allow me to do coyotes so that's kind of when I started splitting time between water and land, and it got a lot more serious on the land, and that's when I took instruction from Craig O'Gorman and uh, Ron and Pete Leggett and stuff like that, and that's kind of what sure. jump-started all that. See, I went, what was the, uh, why did they hire you to trap coyotes? Were, they, were there depredation issues and stuff like that in the county, or how did that work out? Yeah, it was just farmers that would, they would, mm -hmm. you know, one would lose a calf, then like 20 of them would spaz out thinking about losing a calf. Sure. And a lot of times, um, it was actually just feral dogs or domestic dogs that would, you yeah. know, run a calf. But in their mind, it couldn't have been a dog, it had to be a, be a coyote. And, and there was some of them, like a guy tried to start a goat farm, and he bought like 30 goats. And the coyotes, he's right up next to the mountain. And it was like two months later, he was down to two goats that were scared crapless and wouldn't get out of the barn. So there was depredation, but it wasn't what the farmers thought it was most of the time. But it got me right. where I just could, okay, I'm going to trap beaver till, you know, go run traps till 12, and I'm going to set traps for coyotes the rest of the day. And and I got to where I was averaging, 
about 100 to 140 coyotes while I was doing that, still catching beaver. Wow. That's impressive. What I'd like to uh, really pick your brain on, what what would you say, and I, I know you mentioned instruction. I actually wanted to, to follow up on that later, so don't, don't let me forget that. What made you the Clint you are now? Just that, I'll, I'll, I, you said it's bad form to call other people it, but I'll say it, you're a modern day wolfer. What is it that that made you, it was, was it time, was critters caught? Was there something that clicked that just turned it on and then you, you put it into overdrive? Was it a really good fur market? What? Because it's been a, it's definitely been a journey. You know, there's guys, oh, yeah. you know, not, that's not to say, there's some places that, you know, 20, 30 coyotes is, is respectable. You know, I, I literally just started doing some land trapping and stuff. I actually just caught my first coyote yesterday. And I can tell you, 20 and 30 seems like a like a, a far away, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so it's, you know, when you're just starting out, you know, the first one seems like a huge mountain. So w- was there something in particular? Was it the instruction? Was it like running with these legends? What what what, what did it? I, th- I think there's two things, actually. Um, one, I've got a... I've always had, like from sports, and then it it was uh, expanded on in the military, being very driven, and mm-hmm. and um, almost a sadistic pleasure in pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And then you add that on top of when I met Craig, he was like that times ten. So it was like uh, I could see the dedication on a daily basis and the grind that it takes to do that and I enjoyed that but for me personally besides that part which I think you have to have it's a curiosity thing with me like um, like I you know you you, pretty much like everybody else I'd start off with dirt holes and then I'd play around with flat sets and I'd play around with blind sets and play around with snares and but, you know, it, I would say for the longest time it would be like 70% dirt holes, a few flat sets here and there, a couple of blind sets and snares in the fence, you know, when I had the mm-hmm. opportunity. And then, mm-hmm. I, I be honest with you, I got bored. And so mm-hmm. then I would go, okay, for the next 60 days while I'm working for the county, I'm not going to do anything but flat sets. Mm-hmm. And th- then I'd go, I'm not going to do anything but blind sets. And then when I said I'm going to have to snare everything, that that was a lot tougher, you know, because it not all train is set up for snaring. And, and then I got to learn more about the animals, and then it, it's it's a constant curiosity and trying to be on the level of the animal that gets way beyond what is the set, what is the location stuff like that I, I think that mm-hmm. is what's helped me is it's a it's a constant curiosity of trying to for one try to simplify it to the point of one day I want to be able to drive down the road and throw traps out of the window and get a coyote out of it the next morning to me that's the <laughs> ultimate way to coyote trap right right and that's that's incredible and that you know there's something about and I'm sure you know guys like this that know everything you know, I'm sure we all have buddies that are like that, that know every last thing. And I think, I think the most interesting people are the ones that really understand 
and also the smartest people that really know and understand that I'm just scratching the surface. You know, I could I could chase beavers for 10 lifetimes and I could still learn more. You know what I mean? And I think that's really incredible. And you have a, you, you, despite all your accomplishments in the industry as a man, as a you know husband, all these things, all these things that you've done, I'm, I'm always really blown away by how humble you are and how down to earth you are. Every time we spoke, I've just been, just in, you know, I'm not trying to blow too much smoke up your ass. I'll try to get some harder questions later. But, <laughs> but I'm, it's just, it's incredible. It really is. It's great talking with you. Well, um, well and I'll be honest with you. It's because I realize I don't know very much. I mean, mm-hmm. like if, if there was a way to have all of the information that you could have on coyotes and bobcats and fox and all of that I think by the time we're like 90 even the best of best trappers have probably done 30% mm-hmm. I really believe yeah. that so I mean, there's yeah. there's nothing to have an ego about because I realize there's a whole lot I don't know sure I, I you know it's, it's, it's speaking to me too because you know part, I'm a similar to yourself in, in a way just one small way i'm also an adult onset trapper and hunter so i got i don't know if you hunted as a kid but like i I grew up fishing i'm a pretty decent angler it was later on started getting concerned you know i started getting into a little bit of the the prepping side of stuff and Mm -hmm. i really like to take up hunting and then through that you know i had curiosity about you know coyote calling and trapping and and that sort of thing and i just i didn't i didn't understand it i just had this weird you know this weird draw to it and and then it, when i watched there was an episode of uh the show mediator with steve Renella. i don't know if you watch it on the, I, i've seen it several times yeah yeah he does one on on trap and beaver and i was like i gotta do that i want to try beaver meat i'd heard you talk about it i was like i gotta i gotta try it. i gotta see what this is all about and that's how i got into trap red that's how i figured it out that's how i got a better understanding of why you need to manage predators and stuff like that so you know I do feel a certain kinship as someone who, you know, didn't have the luxury of going out with their grandfather and setting traps. You know, in fact, a few years back, I took my grandfather out trapping for the mm-hmm. first time, which was fun. <laughs> well, I, I, took um, my, I took my dad. He's never really showed much interest. He's been supportive. But we did the BMP studies like 10 or 12 years ago when they were doing all that. And uh, uh-huh. he went out with me one day on the boat with the the TWA guy which is kind of like the referee I guess is what you would call him and my dad started looking at tracks and he really sucked at it but it was fun watching my dad turn into a kid because he's never thought about tracks and then he's like, he would find, you know, like he thought he'd find a raccoon track, it'd be a possum track. And then he would start figuring out these are raccoon tracks. And then he's like a little kid running around trying to get it. And to me, that was the coolest thing to watch. Oh, that's awesome. And I love, I love bringing my voice out. I got one who's a stone cold killer and I got one who's, who likes it, but he's not as much. But yeah, kids are even, again, bringing anybody, you know, bringing mm-hmm. anybody out on the line. It just, some people just have no idea. And just to watch them just get a little taste you know the other day when i walked up on that coyote in that burn circle oh man i just (laughs) (laughs) i'm i i yeah i actually one of the first people i called is a mutual friend of ours bill bailey i was like bill i'm in trouble i'm like i'm i'm hooked i'm like i'm gonna have to do more of this it's not just gonna be beavers from now on um 
we talked about instruction. Um, so let me name off a few that I can recall. So O'Gorman, Leggett's, right? Mm-hmm. Both of the both of the Leggett's. Um, did you did you um, did you do anything with Dobbins? No. No, the only time okay. the only time I met Dobbins was at a convention, and he I didn't know who he was, and he mm-hmm. took some of my traps basically out of my hands and started taking them apart, and I started freaking out because I didn't know. <laughs> but if I'd have known then what I know now, I'd have just put those on the shelf. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I know, I know, I'm, I'm forgetting. So, oh, uh, one of the ones that I really like to talk about you you ran with Newt for a while. Yes. Newt Sterling. Yes. That I gotta say, what what was that like? Because he's a heck of a character. I've I've only spoke to him a few times and run into him, but of of your videos, the ones that are like Reverend with Newt, that's one of my that's one of my favorites that I just love to throw on. Well, the the, the cool thing about those two DVDs is there was no acting or setting anything up. That's just the way it was all day. You could you know what you could tell it too because the. the the fun you guys are having is infectious, and you're st- and you're hammering critters. You're yeah. working hard, but you're still you. You just watch it, and you can just see like that's what it's all about. I mean, we were make we would make bets all day on different sets <laughs> that would work, and and um, he's he's got a knack for like a bottom edge set for beaver and otter that to me make no sense whatsoever. And we would make bets, and he would win about sixty percent of the time, sixty seventy percent of the time. And I would, I would just be dumbfounded. He's like, "Let me peel off another twenty, all right." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if you could, and I, I know you talked about it before, what was what did you, what was the biggest thing you took away from O'Gorman? Because he's he's a he's a, a juggernaut in the industry, and again love him or hate him you got to respect he's he's done a lot you know and he has i think i think some people have a problem with him if maybe maybe they think he's he's braggadocious but when you've looked at the list of that man's accomplishments in one lifetime it's mm-hmm. how how could you not flex a little bit you know well the the the, the see the things that stand out the most is he he looked at trapping the way a Navy SEAL would look at warfare or, uh, uh, you know, something like uh, an FBI back before we have whatever's going on now. But, you know, yeah. the guys that were really professional and were like super hardcore about what they did, he he looked at trapping like he was running uh, Google. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was that serious, that planned out. Everything was with purpose. And I've never seen, you know, being around other trappers, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, to him, it was, it was the ultimate professional. And then the more, the second time I got out there where you get past just meeting somebody, his knowledge of how couch react and where they go and where they come from, it, it was, it was just all those years of experience, it was like, it was, you couldn't comprehend it in, in, in a few days. Sure. And that's, and that's, you know, anyone who starts trapping, once you, once you learn that biology and really know, you know, that's what I'm, 
I'm just scratching the surface with that with one animal, with beaver. You know what I mean? I'm just starting to, all right, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to probably do this. Oh, if they do this, I know to do this. You know, it's 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 that sort of thing. But, yeah, when you when you get that that biology, you own them. Mm-hmm. They can't they can't go against their nature. That's their nature. You know, right. it's that old, that old, it's like the old proverb with the, the scorpion and the frog. And I'll, I won't do the whole thing, but like, why just sting me? Well, I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's their nature. Um, who else am I forget? Who else have you, who else have you studied with? And I'm not trying to, you know, disrespect I've, any, anyone you studied no. with. If, if there's a, but if there's a favorite, a couple favorites or some that you really took something away from that really, you know, put your world on its edge or whatever. Uh, I spent about a week with Johnny which is a very different style of trapping but it was it was a lot of the little stuff that he talked about made a big difference uh i've trapped with randy smith several times and he's the closest thing i would say maybe him phil brown and uh oh crap the guy to southern missouri that's real big in the fta he does a lot of beaver and i think he did like 900 coyotes this year um you're not talking about Red Ahern. No, no, he does have oh, red hair. He does have red hair. Hmm. I can't believe I can't. I'm, if he hears this, I'm going to be embarrassed. Um, well, shoot. they'll forgive you, I'm sure. Yeah, but all three of them are, are what I or look at it the way Craig does, and Randy was the same way, but it was a it was a speeded up version. Like Randy, when he goes trapping, he's got to have people come in periodically because normal humans can't keep up with him. And that's not an exaggeration. You don't want to be wow. with him more than like four or five days. You know, or you... Because just run you ragged. Yeah, because it's, it's nonstop and it's 150 miles an hour. And then with Red, uh, when he took me out and was going over all this coon stuff, I didn't realize coon... I've, ne- I've never thought of coon. He looks at coon the way I look at coyotes. Right, right. And when when it, when I start when it started clicking, I'm like, holy crap, this is a different world. Because what all the guys that trap around Red don't realize, he doesn't trap where they trap, but they all think he does. He's like he's like in he's got a PhD in coon, and he's out doing his thing, catching his thousand. And they're they're like in a slugfest under a bridge, and right, he's just right. not playing that game. You talk about like Iowa when you roll up there and there's yeah, eighteen yeah. sets under one culvert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but he, <laughs> he won't even he won't even stop there. There's no yeah. reason. There's bigger coon that no one else is setting. Yeah, I think you've said that before about Johnny too, about catching the fur before it even gets to those spots, knowing the animal so well mm-hmm. that you're gonna say, hey. Before it even goes there, I know it's going to go here. Yeah, Johnny was a master of deception. He would yeah. set sets up. Well, for one, he knew everybody was going to uh, do a suicide set at the bridge. Sure. And he knew there's going to be somebody that comes along after that. So he would make a set for them that was really good. So he knew where his competition was always at so he could cut both of them off. <laughs> and he knew Meek well enough to know if they were going to be going upstream or downstream, depending on the time of the year. Wow. And so he was always so far ahead of everybody else trying to catch the same mink that they just didn't know it. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I remember you mentioned on a podcast something about a fruit that drew him ballistic, and he just kept that kept that to himself. Mm-hmm. 
I have a theory on what it is. I'll do it after. I'll, I'll, I'll ask after the after the recording. Um, that's that's really cool. That's I mean, I feel like you're very you're very fortunate that you were able to like exist in a time to some of these legends. You know, I got mm-hmm. into you know some of these some of these folks because I'm again I'm only I'm only thirty years old. You know, uh, Jeremiah, who's started this whole thing. You know, I think he's maybe 37, 38. You know, so we're a little bit on the other end of things where we didn't get to quite, you know, rub shoulders with some of those guys. You know, when you talk about instruction, you know, that's a. We could talk about, I suppose we could talk about your school a little bit if you'd like, but I'm just, uh, you know, one of the the things I, I tell people, I'm like, I would like to take instruction from you. But there's some older guys that I really want to get to first, just because God forbid they are a little bit, you know, a little bit older. You know, I, you know I, what I mean? I, I totally get it, man. I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, let's um, well, we'll talk about the school later. Let's um, what? So when you started, when you started, you start. I assume you started with the books before the DVDs. Yeah, I mean, uh, the first. Well, I take that so, back. I've, I've got some of O'Gorman's VHSs. I'm trying to think when that was. Oh my bad. I was. I I meant your your books and your DVDs. Oh oh yeah yeah. I started with yeah. uh, well VHS. I mean, we could talk about O'Gorman for hours. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it would be an awesome podcast. But I, I think the people are coming here to see you. <laughs> okay okay. Um, yeah, I started VHS. Uh, I was doing uh, all that Beaver work. And the, you know all the all this odd stuff because I treated Beaver the same as everything. Else. Like I would go, okay, this month I'm not doing anything but number two coal springs. Well, mm-hmm. go out and run a trap line in every situation with a number two coal spring. You got to get creative. Yeah. And the same with snares and body grips and two twenties and and it, I just force myself all the time to learn or I'd get bored. Right. And. Right. Um, I, I, I found, so when I first started laying folds, because I'm from Massachusetts, so all my beavers had to be cages, and occasionally we could pull a permit for corner bears. So when I first started trapping other states, all I wanted to do was set folds. Mm-hmm. And from your advice, I literally, I didn't set anything but folds for beaver. Yeah, it, it, ma- I, it makes you become good at it. No. It's it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite ways to catch them and I haven't dabbled much in snares yet. Um, there's a state just north of me that does allow snaring, but they don't allow non-residents uh, to fur trap there. Mm-hmm. So I, if they lift that, they, if they lift that, it's like a hundred-year-old law that they you can't non-residents can't fur trap beaver and otter. I've done control work up there. I had a job for a railroad I did up there, and. Um, you know, but the the weird thing with the law is that because uh, neither here nor there, basically, um, that's that's on next on the hit list is to get really start messing with some cable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you started doing the VHS. When did you um? What was what was your first book? First book was Mindset of a Professional. Oh, that's a good one. If anyone hasn't picked it up, it is. It's incredible. It's. And I, my favorite. I know when people read that, they think that's just the way. I, I'm not that way as much anymore at fifty, almost fifty three. Mm-hmm. But that's actually how I thought about everything. I mean, and it's 
and people, I mean, some people think it's like just a motivational book, but that to me, that was just, that's the way you had to think. There's one, that's, that's one of your pieces of work that I've, I've lost sleep over <laughs> because the way that book is, I'll be sitting in bed with a calculator, just dreaming and scheming mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, and just getting fired up and you know, God, God bless my fiance. She's like, "What are you doing? What are you on your phone?" Ah, just I'm just crunching some numbers. Don't mind me, <laughs> because that's a lot of that book is you know breaking down how you can make a living at this, and that's right. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing. You know, so it's mindset is a is a fantastic read, and again, a lot of the it's like it's like math for trappers, and I never I never much cared for math, but man, money math sure is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I've, you only have, you have three books. There's, so the mindset of a professional, then um, Beaver Blitzkrieg, Eastern Wolfer, yeah. Beaver Blitzkrieg. What's that? I, that's one I read. I read that at least once a year. That just gets me, oh, there, there's something about, you know, just the, the, the title in itself, the whole lightning war idea <laughs> of trapping beaver. <laughs> Ooh, that's one of those ones. But I, if you haven't read any of Clint's stuff, you really are doing yourself a disservice. Pick it up, Clint. And I don't, I don't mean any disrespect from this. I hope you don't take it that way. Clint's style of writing is just raw and gritty. It's like it's uh, like if you ever this is a little bit out there, but like Hunter Thompson, like that Gonzo journalism, just in your face, like you know cut the throats take no prisoners just raw gritty you know it's um it's like the opposite if you've ever read i just i'm reading one of slim peterson's books Mm -hmm. and man he is he has a certain there's like there's like poetry to it right? right right there's like his writing is beautiful like he could he could stand up with some of the best writers in my opinion like i read a lot he can stand up with some of the best writers with the way he writes. Your writing is good in the way it's like it's like rock and roll. It's like heavy metal, you know. It, it's, if it's, if it's just if you don't if you don't start getting fired up, you don't have a soul, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when I wrote that book, I mean that that's when I was doing uh, between nine hundred and eleven hundred beavers a year. So I mean that was completely my life at the time and the eastern wolfer was when i was doing completely predators okay and i and i wrote the eastern wolfer actually in texas at night while i was down there for months because i figured i'd be in the right frame of mind because there's no one down there with me at that time so it's you know i'd get done trapping i'd pull out the computer and i would i would just go after after hammering on them, doing control work all day, probably 14, 16 hour days. Yeah, I mean, you still you're pulling out cactus and writing at the same time. I mean, it was as real as you can get with the mindset of of someone that's doing it. Wow. And then your your videos. Now, as as much sleep as much sleep as I've lost from mindset of a professional, I've gained it back from your beaver handling DVD. <laughs> I broke. We broke even on that because that one, that one helped me out so so damn much. You have no idea. My, I think my first beaver, 
I think my first beaver took me like two hours and some change when mm-hmm. I first put one up. So and I was still getting it. I'm, I'm still not as fast as some of the folks I know, but but it's uh, it's no longer like an unsurmountable burden if I get a bunch of them. <laughs> Well, dude, it's it's just it's just repetitive. I mean, it, it was at the point I could watch Braveheart in the lure shop while I skinned and fleshed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, it's, muscle, actually, it's muscle memory. It is. It's muscle memory. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just constant. If you ever get to see Randy skin a coyote, like on combines and coyotes, he skins a coyote as fast as I skin a beaver off the tailgate of a truck. Now that's incredible. Because I mean, I, I struggle even just having a. You know, just having a gambrel and stuff. <laughs> Never mind without a without like a winch and stuff. If you got a winch and stuff, you're 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 golden. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my train of thought there. Um, <clears throat> so, what was your what was your favorite DVD to make? Probably Cat Collector. Yeah, because I, I looked at that. That was the first one that I looked at trying to make an actual, so how can I put this? Like m- most DVDs, mine included, up to that point where you just throw a camera up, you talk about what you're doing, you show an animal here and there, you show some sets, and, and it's it's not visually, uh, the, the visual's not that important. Right, which right. is and that's and that, yeah. yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a, it's a problem in the trapping industry. Yeah. I was I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, we need to look at. There's a project Upland, or like those those fancy, those fancy fly fishing videos where they have like drone shots and stuff like. That's how we should be making trapping mm-hmm. trapping stuff. That's how we should be making the content. We need to step it. Little, you know, it is. There are some ones that and. and across the board there are a lot of um trapping dvds that are you know they could they lack a little in in cinematography if you will (laughs) well i mean but that's the way it just was forever i mean it was it's it's almost like a guy just shooting without thought a youtube video with his phone that's kind of the way that it was and then and with about the, as shaky too. Yeah, and with the cat collector, I mean, I had, I went, I bought an HD camera, which was big deal back then. And, you know, now you got 4K and 8K and all kind of crazy stuff. But I mean, sure. I had a TV camera. I bought an expensive tripod. I moved it around all the time. I actually took. I made sure that I had three extra hours a day while I was trapping, so I could take the time to try to shoot that. Where did you learn that? Uh, just watching. I would just watch Outdoor Channel, you know, and I would watch movies and and um, you know some of the stuff I tried to do is not in there. It didn't work. You know, I tried to try to do sometimes some crazy stuff, but uh, <laughs> just you know what, what makes what makes a movie is something that's more interesting to watch. You know, and I'm sure. I'm not really a computer person. So, like, I've seen, uh, I'm trying to think of, there's a, there's a guy that makes uh, coyote videos on YouTube where he, like, slows down when he's hitting the stake and the dirt, and it's it's just visually more interesting to watch. You know, he, sure, he does sure. a lot of uh, effects, 
but it doesn't really overtake what he's doing. It's just it's just more right. visual. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, you know who does a pretty good job of that? And I will say, give them a little shout out. Is the Hoosier guys, the Hoosier Trapline guys, like Charlie okay. Paycheck and Justin Jett. You watch any of their stuff? Not really. I, I don't. It, it's. I don't watch a lot of trapping. I don't even read a trapping magazine. I haven't in ten years. Hmm. Be in in the the reason is. This is going to sound funny, maybe, but not that that not that I know. There's probably not stuff I could learn. But the way that I trap now, I don't want that other stuff going in my head to muddle stuff. Does that make sense? So, as somebody who's just started really getting after land trapping with footholds, yes, it really does. Because as um, my buddy Blake calls it, analysis paralysis. Yes. Right, where if you have a million and a half sets in your head, oh, I could this, I gotta do this, I gotta do, and you just start, you know, keep it simple, stupid, you know, mm-hmm. like just, you know, like you gotta, you gotta walk before you can run, and I think too, yeah, there's something about when you when you get to the point where you come up with a set or a variation on a set, it's more organic, and maybe you're maybe you're getting better data from that, or you're getting mm-hmm. better, okay, this worked, this didn't work, you know what I mean, because you do an oddball set, you catch a critter, you're like, this is the best thing since sliced bread, mm-hmm. this is it, this is this is the set, I'm gonna, I'm gonna extirpate this animal from North America with this set, and then it's, it's just not, so, well, if- I do, I, I get that, and it's, it's something I struggle with, because, man, I love consuming traffic content, you know, whether it be podcasts, whether it be videos, mm-hmm. I love talking to trappers, I love reading old books and stuff like that. But yeah, it can be it can be uh, overwhelming. And then next thing you know, you got half of one system and half of another system and, mm-hmm. and six other ideas of ways to set traps all half-assed thrown together, you know. Well, plus you, you get, I mean, and, and like I said, this is very different from why I used to, I used to consume content like a vacuum cleaner, mm-hmm. but like I'm, the experiments that I run now, I don't want to have any, like what people say is right or wrong or rules or you have to do this. Um, right. Like I, I've been playing around with something for the last couple of years that's not a flat set, a dirt hole, or a blind set, and it goes <clears> against everything that we've been taught in trapping, which I'm not going to go into, but because I'm still I'm still playing around with it. But um, I would have never done that, and I guarantee you, Zagger would have never done the way he beds a trap with his pipe dream by consuming a crap ton of content because there's a, it just wouldn't work or I'd have never done the portable pocket for coyotes and stuff like that because it goes right. against what is the norm sure yeah no that's 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 a, that's a good point and there's it's always a constant battle of you have to learn the rules but then you gotta be you can't be so I don't think I don't think in many places that there's like there's not commandments of traffic, per se. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's not a thou shall not. It's like, it's probably better if you do it this way, but there might be an exception. Well, you know? I mean, it's crazy. Think about it. I, I'm a huge component of very solidly bad traps. That's a, that's a rule that I've kind of, that it's, it's hard for me to get around. 
Well, you go watch um, Bob Went. I mean, it, it, it's it's floating around in there like it's on jelly. You <laughs> you can't argue with the man's catches. Right. Right. You know, and that's kind of where people get. You know, I mean, I think you got to set on location, and absolutely, and you've got to work with what the animal's nature is, and then pretty much after that, it's just creativity. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that personally I love about trapping is it's it's like chess, you know. Hunting is there's there's a lot you got to learn about the animals, stuff you know, the biology, but you got a you got a hundred and eighty degrees, give or take, if not more, that you could you could harvest that animal if they come into range. Right. You know, with with trapping, it's it's the it's the chess match of it, especially like when I'm really banging my head against the wall with a beaver. It's like I imagined because I when I was from the generation, I we played you know I played a little video games as a kid. You know, like when you finally beat that level, and just mm-hmm. the, you're exhausted. You did. You've been just your eyes hurt because you were watching this damn screen for so long, and then finally, oh, I made it through. I made it through. Just it, it's it's that, but better because it's in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 something. There's something to it. You're talking about experimenting, and I give you. Full, I I mean, you told me before when I was talking to you. you uh, Full disclosure: You'll just hang off the phone if I uh, if I piss you off. Um, well, no. Hoping, if it was a gotcha type situation, which obviously well, this is not, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, what I'm trying, what I'd like to ask. So, I'm curious about lure making. I've watched your DVD on it. Which, by the way, quick shout out on it's Wolfer Nation, right? Where you can get the you could pay and get all of your all of your videos. That's how or most of them. That's howtotrapit.com. Howtotrapit.com. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, it's got everything. Actually, the, the in the only video, actually, to be fair, it's, it's on my hit list. Don't worry. The only one I haven't watched has been Teachers of the Night, which I can't wait. That's a, that's on the short list. Maybe after after the holidays and after all the Christmas presents and stuff, maybe there'll be a little, maybe it'll be a birthday present for me or something. Um but as far as experimenting goes, I'm hoping I can ask you, and I'm, I'm not, of course, I'm not asking about the formulas. Obviously, no lure maker in their right mind is going to give out their formulas. What I'd like to pick your brain on, though, more importantly, if what's your process when you make a lure? And so, for example, like, let's say you have a hypothesis about an ingredient. Do you just test that ingredient? Do you start tinkering? Do you start doing that? You know, do you go out and hammer a couple critters with it and then pass it off to some friends and see how they do? What is your, what is your, you know, if you don't mind delving no, into like, I mean, how, I, do you, I, how do you design? I won't get into specific specifics, but no, no, no. To me, not. to me, you you've got to have a base of something for a lure or a bait, and whatever that base is needs to be able to catch a majority of the animals with no additives and then you start stacking stuff on top of it and watching so like if I'm playing with um, let's say unicorn hair you know just so we don't give away your yeah, formula <laughs> I, I, well I mean just say um, horse meat yeah I mean that's 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 
or it used it's to be fairly work. common. I'm a, I mean, I still use a lot of it. I don't know who other people. I don't ever ask, but like horse sure. meat. Horse meat's a good base. Just horse meat alone, tainted a certain way, will catch a lot of animals. Well, if you add an ingredient, does that go up or down? If you add that ingredient, it goes up. Then you add something else. Does it go up or down? So right. the way that I learned to do lures, um, all year round, I put out just test sets. And I mean everywhere. So um, I've got some out on the river, uh, the, the banks of the rivers right now. And then if it was a state park, or because I'm not setting a trap. That's not the purpose. Right. Right. So, so you're basically making a set. Are you drawing a circle or just imagining or marking this is where the trap would be? And I, then if I, there's a track in there, you got them. Yeah, I, I pick places it's a little more natural that doesn't have as much ground cover. Mm -hmm. And then I will put in a set with that, but I'll do that repeatedly. And then I'll go back and, you know, are they digging? Or does it look like they're rolling? Or, or is there no interest whatsoever? You know, is there just one track and it's gone? Or they, does it look like it's coming back? You know, and some of that is just, you don't know for sure, but you just, if you get something that's good, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of activity going on. Right. You have a good beaver lure, that bank's going to be torn up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or a exactly. food lure, they should take your stick. Right. You know, and right. that that's one of my main things. When I go test, you know, because, I mean, I haven't come out with any beaver lures, but beaver buffet if you if the stick's gone you have a miss mm -hmm. if the stick's still there i guarantee you a beaver didn't come up there because they always mm -hmm. take the stick now is is and if you're making a food lure and you get some beaver to come up to it and they're not even going to eat your food lure well you, you got a, a crappy food lure right right yeah you said that in one of your videos i forget i don't remember which one it was but you said uh, you said that exact thing, you know. That if they're not eating it, then what what are you doing? You mm -hmm. know, <laughs> it was more eloquent than that. As it's speaking of which, I will t I will tell everyone um, my favorite lure you make. Do you want to get? Do you want to guess what my favorite beaver lure you make is? Delta Red. Close. Enrager. Closer. Enrager two. And Rager Two is my favorite. This is my favorite beaver lure across the board. I have caught more fur on that thing. I have, I've had problem beavers where it's like starting to ice up, and I gotta wrap this up. And I know there's a lone bachelor in there. What? Kudos to you, sir. That is, it's they just come unhinged for it. Mm -hmm. I don't. I I'm I'm blown away by that. Um. That's interesting with the trials. Do you, do you set trials in places you're going to trap, or do you set them? You do you set them somewhere like, for example, if there's a, a preserve or something where technically you're not allowed to trap, so you're not going to educate any animals or anything like that. Well, when I was in Dunlap, I just had, I would talk to certain farmers, of course, and I had a small farm, and then um, I would tell them what I was doing. And there's there's no way I could catch a dog or a cat. There's no traps being used. I'm just trying to learn something. And most people are like, sure, go ahead. Yeah, probably look at you a little funny. Yeah, I mean it's kind of weird, but 
you know, but you're not hurting anything. I mean, and I know, and I knew most of them. And then, and then sure, there was sure. a lot of uh, state land just south of me. So I would just, I'd just make a small loop, so like 10 miles, and I'd put out 15 or 20 sets. And then like every five days, I'd just go look at them. Because there's things with lures you need to know. Like if all activity quits after five days, well, then you, you mess something up. Or your lure doesn't have that staying power. It, exactly. Reserve, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I do, you know, what I especially enjoy, and I keep going back to your DVDs, they're some of my favorite watches. The lure and bait shop one is, is really incredible, and it's just, I've watched that three, four times now, at least, all, all of them, you know, and there's there's a lot of info in there mm-hmm. and it's it's just what i like is that you talk to some lure makers and you'd think that they're making they're making magic potions you know what i mean i like the um there's a, there's a science to it like there what, is. what you're doing is you're, you're doing the scientific method mm-hmm. you have a hypothesis you're testing your hypothesis you're seeing if you can replicate it so on and so forth you're trying to find a result and so on you're proving your or disproving your hypothesis you know does x work for the x you know like so i find that i like i like your approach in that you're doing it in a scientific method you know it's not like there's not like oh and then we gotta hold this over the cauldron and put a couple mouse bones in there or what you know whatever (laughs) so which i think i think is a problem with some of the some of the lure makers out there there's there's a there's a there's an over uh what's the word i'm looking for like it an over magicification that's not the word i'm looking for i apologize to all you listening you know there's there's a there's like a two woo-woo-y approach mm-hmm. to lure making and then there's a two like i had a, a buddy of mine who makes lures who said why would you buy a coon lure what do you mean just you don't need to buy a coon lure you know there's there's like two ends of the spectrum you know what i mean well i mean uh, on, on something like coon that that's one of those that i've always been amazed at yeah, you, well, like you like you were saying, as far as looking at them more like coons, because if you get a tough coon, you know, I have buddies that do structural wildlife, and if you think coons are easy to catch, well, you try one that's been hazed a little bit and maybe been stung before, you know. Well, I mean, you think you well, everybody knows everybody that's got a coon coming up, getting their garbage or messing with their chicken, so they get a cage trap and they throw a honey bun in the back. They catch yeah. a coon, and then they go, "Well, that's all you need to do." Okay, big boy, go catch a thousand. <laughs> you, you, you know that that's that's kind of the, right. it, it's ridiculous. I'm sure you could probably catch a handful of coyotes over a year if you just use dog food. I yeah. have no I have no doubts about that. Whatever. Yeah, but go catch a hundred. That's right. that's where the difference is. That a lot of people they 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 don't quite understand what that means um like um like cat collector for for bobcats mm-hmm. that lasts at a set in the desert for over 40 days yeah you can't do that and you can and and, and, and you can smell it yes and, and you, you, you can, can smell it that, 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 a human nose which is nowhere near right you know an animal's nose exactly yeah and and you know that 
And whatever someone wants to do, I mean, I've heard the craziest things about what people use to catch a few animals. But good grief. I mean, there's there's stuff out there, and not just mine, but it, it's hand, it's, it's like, um, if you want to go shoot a thousand yard range, I'm sure if you pulled the trigger enough with a 22 long rifle, you'll hit the target. Right. But wouldn't you, you be can better probably, off with a 338 Lapua with a Night Force scope, and you can just do it in one? Right, and and you could probably you could probably go to Walmart and buy some of that white box Winchester, and you could probably hit pretty far. Yeah. Every once in a while, but if you have a custom load that's hand loaded, that's measured out, and we know it's going to do this, the bullet drop's going to be this, and yeah, you know exactly. Um, you want to talk? Um, trapping as a business for a little bit sure so what i think this is going to kind of tie into what we we're talking about with like the cinematography side of things i i've personally you know had success and again i'm incredibly green as a as a trapper you know but where i've thrived is just having a certain amount i, I try and again I love trappers. They're my people. I don't mean this is any disrespect to anyone out there. But by not always presenting myself as a trapper, like a trapper, mm-hmm. I've had an incredible success. And I feel like the way you do business, and I've heard you talk about it even on your podcast, you know, about the things that you do when you're meeting with high-end clients and stuff like that. You know, do you have some, do you have some business tips? Um, maybe for somebody, you know, this is, um, I'm on year three of doing predominantly beaver control full-time um you know do you have do you have some advice for someone like myself or for maybe some other people out there that are maybe maybe they're doing you know fur bear control maybe they're doing and, uh, there's enough resources out there for structural i love the structural guys i have good friends that do it but maybe more for you know beaver or predator control or stuff like that do you have any like tips or or the, the- takes or things that that you would like to impart the the biggest thing that wealthy people which were my clients can pick up on in a heartbeat that people that are not wealthy think they're smarter than the wealthy people and they try to feed them a bunch of bs and they do a lot of bragging and chest beating and stuff like that you want to turn off a landowner that's the first way to do it definitely bragging is is not what you do if, if you're going to talk to a client, you've got to figure out what his problem is and how you're going to be the solution for his problem. It has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. But everybody thinks that it's about them because they're the trapper, and that's that's the wrong way to go about it. Right. I'm the trapper. That's, that's what makes, you know, oh, my neighbor's got a cousin down the road that traps, and he's going to come mess around here for a while you know that's that's the uh, yeah yeah and that's you you build a reputation and it depends on who you're talking to um like in the southeast if i'm talking to qdma landowners mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i make sure that i'm way more clean shaven than normal um if i know they're uh in alabama i'm wearing an alabama hat even though it makes me sick to my stomach because I'm a UT fan. Well, I don't know if I could go that far. I would never wear a Yankees hat. 
no matter how. <laughs> yeah, I get. You know, I think what you're trying to sum up is uh, when I was. I've I've actually done a good amount of sales, um, just because they'll they'll hire anybody usually. Um, what I've what was summed up best to me from one of my sales managers was, he goes, "Look at me. You eat beans, I eat beans. That's it." Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. You know what I mean? Like, you like this? Well, I like that too. And that's you, that's your hit because people look for that camaraderie, that, that understanding, you know. Yeah, well, you, you want to look and sound like the person you're talked to or you're the other. You know, right. uh, the Southern Plantation QDMA guy owns three or four businesses. Uh, you know, he goes hunting because he likes it. He's got plenty of money. You've got to talk like him and look like him. If you're talking to a farmer and you show up with khaki pants on or whatever, he's going to look at you funny because he's wearing overalls in Tennessee. Or, and he's going to laugh you off the property. Yeah, because now you're, you're kind of strange. In Texas, what I learned, I went as far as taking my Dodge truck and I rhino-lined the thing. I had a friend build a custom uh, front rack and lights up top and I had all these custom boxes, and when I rolled up on one of those ranches down there, and all they want to do is kill everything. They want you to kill everything but deer or quail, if that's what they're doing. Right. When I get out of the truck, they see I'm carrying a 45. They see the AR and the shotgun sticking up in the, the rest in the thing. There's blood and maggots rolling out the back of the truck bed when I hit the brakes. Yeah, you're, a harbinger. you're a harbinger of death. <laughs> that, that, for them, if I tried that in, um, say, South Carolina, they're calling the cops. <laughs> try, try it in the Northeast. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna have a family meeting about it. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna be. Yeah, I mean, but it. So whatever they're looking for is what you need to be to fix their problem. But it's it is their problem, and a lot of trappers. Like I, I had a guy that wanted to get O'Gorman dogs and take them to these ranches. And I'm like, dude, they don't allow dogs on the property. He goes, they will if they want me. Of course, you know how many jobs he got? Zero. Because he thought... The the Dorn dogs there? Yeah, he thought he could, because he was so important of a trapper that he could do, they would bow to his will. Well, no, the dude's going to go get on his jet and leave. He's not going to talk to you. So it's, it's a fine line. It's a fine line too because I think what I've had trouble with that I've actually had to work on is being able to stand up to clients and be like, "Listen, I know you're worried there's a beaver. They're not currently doing any damage. If we could just wait till fall, or if we could just wait till spring, I promise you, you're going to be a lot happier with the results because mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to clean out that whole colony. You know, so it's a, it's a give and take. You have to be the professional, but if you educate the client, you know that's the thing. But they don't. They don't need you, right? You know, they'll no, find they'll no. find they'll find somebody. They and, and there's things you learn if you're going to be good at this is you have to be able to communicate what something is. You know, um, if why? Because like when, when I'm talking to someone in Texas and they literally just get off of their private jet on their private runway and we're sitting in their drug dealer looking house in the middle of the desert. 
the, the what names, comes, have, names have been changed to protect the guilty. You know, none of them were, <laughs> I don't think any of them were, but that's what they look like. I mean, you know. No, I know. I know. I'm just messing with you. And they, what comes out of their mouth is not what a trapper thinks is going to come out of their mouth. They're like, right. how are you going to save me money? Why would I pay you? What is the cost of me not having a trapper versus the cost of having a trapper? And you've got to walk them down. I mean, it got to the point where how many feeders do you have? How many pictures of raccoons are you seeing on average on your feeders? Well, this is what an average coon eats. You've got so many. This is so much. You have so many feeders. This is costing you. Sometime the ranch would be losing $70,000 a year to coon. Wow. And, and the guy that's the business guy, that's now something he can compute and put on a spreadsheet and go this is so you're going to charge me 7 and I'm going to and right. I'm going to save 70 well that's a no brainer right it's, right we look at look at our food costs or our, our feeder costs last year versus this year yeah. what's the difference we had the trapper you're the variable that changed it yeah. Yeah. and and you learn to talk to speak their the, the way they understand and if they go well there's no way then I'd go okay I'll make a deal with you I won't charge you anything but you got to write me a check for half of what you save. And they'll look at you and go, that'd be $35,000. i am like, yeah, but it didn't cost you anything up front. What do you got to lose? Well, no, no <laughs> same person is going to do that because they can hire you for seven. That's funny. I was watching somebody else's video. They were talking about, they told him, I think he was doing a per animal sort of deal. They said, ah, it's way too much. And he's like, or, or you know, he did a, a weekly like a, a charge for a week, mm-hmm. and the guy goes, "That's way too much." He goes, "All right, we'll do this per animal." The guy said, "All right," and I think it was like day three. He was like two or three times this weekly, and the guy was like, "Can we go back? Can we change it?" <laughs> well, I, I, I always get most of the time on new clients. I give them that option. I go, "Look, um, I charge so much a week. If you're if you if you're not sure." And I can understand why they're not sure because most of them will give really crappy snares to a ranch hand that doesn't know how to set them and they catch like two coyotes a month. Sure. So they don't have a, a understanding of what this is. So what I'll normally tell them... Their baseline I, is skewed. Yes. So I'll go, this is what I charge or I can do it per animal and I'll go as low as $50 a coyote, $40 a cat, and ten dollars a raccoon and i will give you the option for the first 14 days to go back to my weekly rate now when, <laughs> and, and i do that because i won't return you know like we, we first time me and scott went to lambendera we had one day of 28 coyotes 14 bobcats and like 30 raccoon well can you imagine getting that bill Yeah, that one's going to sting a little bit. And we and that was not. I mean, in a that was our best day. But I mean, there was a lot of days we're averaging ten, twelve coyotes, five or six cats, fifteen raccoons per animal right. basis. And you know, in a, a learning how to talk, one of the ranches he kept he only wanted to hire us for cats and coyotes. And we weren't charging him what we charged other people because they had so many bobcats. And at that time, because it's about money, it's not about right. it's about how much you make at the end, not about how much you can say you charged. Right. And if fur is if fur is up, 
Yes. You, you, honest, honestly, in some instances, you might do it for nothing. Right. Absolutely. And then, but he was like, I really want your guys to concentrate on tune. And I went, okay. I said, but here's, here's the issue I'm running into. The only way they're really making money on your ranch is if they catch cats. Coyotes are not worth anything, but you know, we're running the fence, so it's not that big a deal. But if we have to start targeting coon, you're asking them to spend a majority of their time working for free. Right. They don't want to work for free like you don't want to work for free. So I said, how about we just do a $10 bounty per coon? So if, mm-hmm. if they catch $10, that's, a, you know, 10 coons, $100, or four coon a day over 30 days, you'll have so many coon. And when he thought about it, he was like, sure. Well, actually, what that meant for us was like an extra, I think it was three or $4,000 to split at the end of it. He right. was happy. We were happy. You that's know, real money. It's, yeah. it's and, real. And, and the best thing, too, in business, if you can find agreements that are mutually beneficial, everybody wins. That really... You know, they're happy. You're happy. Everybody, everybody goes home happy. You know, and, and that's the way it should be. I mean, you're the problem solver, not the take advantage of person. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. That's good stuff. That's I'm gonna have to re-listen to this and unpack a lot of that. Um, I want to talk to you because I feel like I've. I'm going to dub you the unofficial main historian on Wolfers. And I don't know if that's a title that you've ever received before. It's very prestigious. You're very welcome. (laughs) I hope you accept. I I don't know about (laughs) that one, man. Listen, I have one of my there's There's been, I'm a very, I haven't listened to every one of your podcasts, but I'm pretty damn close. You know, there's a lot of content out there, but I've, Whenever you do an episode on the Wolfers, I just hey, Jeremiah Jeremiah might have to edit this out, but I get a little chubby. I get a little excited. You know what I mean? I just oh, when you're talking about the Wolfers, that that's something that makes my blood boil. Um, talk to me about the Wolfers. Who were they? Was there a golden age of Wolfers? You know, and also I want to pick your brain on. Where did you learn all this? Because you have you have some some knowledge. The way they were, the way they set things, the way things, just just the way they navigated trapping. Mm-hmm. That's just it's just awe inspiring. Can you can you elaborate on any of that? Well, I would say the age of wolfers were probably between 1920 and 1950. Okay, uh, probably some of the 60s, and it was just a different breed of person those guys were kind of like if you've ever been to like Greece you've got guys that get in the cart with the sheep and they live with them until they come back in the spring on the green pasture that, okay. that's how a lot of these guys lived right they're like not even not even necessarily like 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 uh what are those the the tents with the walls and the stove and stuff they're 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 living off the land yeah well, yeah i mean that, they, they would sleep in the back of the truck uh some of them have tents some of them would actually pull like a little camper uh, App, uh applegate from texas that does all the line trapping he's like that today i mean mm-hmm. he, he's the closest thing to what that style is today that i know of 
Who's that? I don't, I'm not familiar. Bill Applegate. He's out of uh, Big Bend, Texas. He, he's probably the premier mountain lion trapper in the country. Wow. And that's what he does. He pulls a little camper and he don't come home till the job's done. Wow. And if you ever see him, he's he's he looks like he's having a heart attack because he's so sunburnt. I don't know how his skin's still there. I mean, that's just the life that he lives. Right. It's like leather. Yeah, but red. Yeah. Because he's in it all the time. Right. Right. And um, oh, you know, going. You know, I hate to say it again, but oh, Gorman started talking about uh, uh, Hopkins and um, George Good. And he would bring up uh, Mast and and um, what's the guy out of California? Um, just different people, and then I would just start doing research where I could find it. Now Hopkins, what's um, what is that? Is I assume it's his last name. It is. Uh, he he was a, a coyote guy that trapped. If I remember right, he was in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think he came down to the Red Desert of Wyoming. And and he would do stuff like uh, waxing snares, and you know using long springs and figuring out how to, to hold them. But what, they were super simple. Like some of these guys would have like a, a milk can on the side of the truck that they would just keep adding glands and urine, which you couldn't sell that because the bacteria level would probably blow a bottle in half in thirty seconds. But they used it like a gas pump. So they would make their sets on the side of the road, that little hose that would come down from it, and they would squirt urine on bushes and just put a trap in there. And and over time, they started using lure when they started, uh, that started becoming more popular. Wow. But it, yeah, it's no, just it, a totally different, um, and it was it was simple stuff compared to today, but it's stuff that still works today that people don't do it because it's not complicated enough. Right, and that's not good businesses for you as a lure maker. But in well, all honesty, you know some of those some of those like buried bait sets and and you know stuff like that, you know, just trail set and stuff like you know like putting a carcass on a trap, stuff like that. You mm-hmm. talked about before doing uh, having a gorman tell you things like that. Well, I mean, it, it's stuff like you read books that were written in the 70s and you find a dead cow at a tank and you like you put a, a trap at, a, you know, like at a foot with some lure and one at its butthole and, you know, you got three or four around this. And we've all seen those pictures. Mm-hmm. A wolfer's not going to set that. He's going to set his traps on every trail coming into that three, 300 feet, 500 feet away. And when he comes right. back, he's going to have five, six, seven coyotes bouncing around everywhere. And is it because they knew the animals just because, you know, there's a, there's a, I think, I think there's a movement to get back to it. But as a society, we've moved further and further. We're, we're three or four generations removed from the land. We don't see these animals, you know, you're not going out to do chores in the morning on the family farm. Right. And seeing a coyote and seeing how he works a fence line and seeing how he does these things. Where these guys, these are rural people. These are people that lived off the land. That's how they made their money. That's how they survived. It's a, it's a different, it's a different girl. You know, you, and right. I think you mentioned it before that we could elaborate on the, the thing that sets 
top trappers apart from the pack is just that extra just boom that go out and get it and just refuse to quit and refuse to fail mm-hmm. yeah and you know the difference is like trappers now will find a, a, a location well, the, mm-hmm. when you read, when you look at some of the old stuff like Clever Coyote and the, you know books like that, they would they would track them down to know where their home was, right? To where they were going through certain gaps in the ridges, and then they would make a plan from that. You know, we now it's what I kind of feel like today with a lot of the the very uh, regimented. Everybody wants to have their own set, you know, their own call it a name or whatever. It's kind of like we're not like the granddad that could go smoking with a plaid shirt and sit on the ground and kill a deer. Right. We got to have the new Cabela clothes with the new rifle and the new scope with the new cover sense and the best tree stands with the, you know, and, and it's all about the gear and it's all about stuff. It's like uh, it's like it's like you're making modern art, and and there's you know some people like modern art that's fine, but there's there's a difference between somebody that can paint that it looks like a like mm-hmm. a picture. Yeah. They have the whole they have the whole picture. They have everything. Whereas you're like, oh, that kind of is visually interesting. No, I guess that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that's a, that's not a, that's maybe not a great analogy, but <laughs> well, it, it's see how can I? It's it's like we've we've tried to I'm not sure mechanized is the right word but we tried to take coyote trapping for an example into like it's a machine you know like what we do is like the gears moving and then the animal's just going to get caught right and and you've talked about this on your podcast about are you trapping or are you making sense right and I've I, I personally I person, that, that hit real close to home because I've had times like my first so this is technically day day 13 of land trapping. I did a little bit last year. I had a friend of a friend that had some issues. And I realized I was making sets. I wasn't coyote trapping. I was, this looks like a set. This looks like, and you can have some success making sets if mm-hmm. it's like, if you actually are, just happen to be thick with them, any animal. If you're thick with them and you make a set on somewhere that looks like a set, well, yeah, you're going to get something. For sure, mm-hmm. you know that's that's the, 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 the that's I think where a lot of guys that are more experienced than I they start to they start to log those sorts of places. They're like, okay, I got a beaver swamp, I got some real thick stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna venture a guess that there's bobcats in here. I haven't cut a track, I haven't seen a scat, I but I just I have a feeling, mm-hmm. you know, that there's bobcats. But to someone who's more green they don't necessarily have all the information and they're just saying well this looks like a bobcat set let me do this let me throw some feathers around and they should all come come screaming into here to get caught well it's kind of like i I wish there was a way that i could show and film over time like when i go like up to jeff's and run run traps with jeff dunlap if i go early we set more of a traditional style, you know, farm edges, stuff like that. The first snow that starts getting thick, he totally changes his whole coyote line. And when there's ice, he totally changes his whole coyote line. It's, 
but most people would be stuck on the crossroads and the fence corner and the rock keep pile. hammering keep hammering keep chucking empty traps okay we got one today all right but, <laughs> but he but he's learned the the couch from from watching tracks in the you know up there he's been there forever he knows mm -hmm. early middle and late is three different games going on right and that's and that's something that you could only get i mean that is one one huge benefit i've personally experienced from kind of getting thrown into beaver control and i i literally was just trying to buy some more traps when i first started doing it and the next thing you know there just was a avoid in the market mm. but you learn real quick these animals change you yes know? they do i mean i and i hate i hate to you know keep keep quoting your stuff but everybody really should do themselves it's it's a disservice if you haven't seen clint's videos they're truly truly incredible and the amount of of just knowledge that's that's in them they're worth two three four five watches at least each you know they're they're really incredible you know you talk about in one of your uh, professional beaver control i believe it was you know you think you're gonna do summer beaver control and you think you're gonna do all these sets that you hammer them all year long during trapping <laughs> season but you're doing summer beaver control you're in for a rude awakening and man that i i might as well get that as a tattoo on my back like that's the, <laughs> it, it's it's nothing it just it just speaks to your your tenure as a trapper and your knowledge and stuff it it really is so that's incredible to think about too like knowing the animals knowing the biology we know this time of year they're doing that this time of year they're going to transition to this and this is the in-between time it's it is almost like you know i have friends that that uh i i joke they they fetishize white tails too much and stuff you know they got names for them and cameras and all that i can't get excited about that i'm a meat hunter but it's it's a similar thing you have to have that knowledge of the critters to be able to really hammer on them mm -hmm. you so. do i mean i mean it, it, it's not just a lot of times it's regional, and I'm going to be very loose on what I'm getting ready to say because I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about them or try to figure out who I'm talking about. But several years ago, there was a really big-name beaver trapper from up north that came south. And he has never got the, the overall knowledge to understand the difference between warmer weather, summer, I mean, uh, winter trapping here and where he was at are the way beaver reacted to caster different from here than where he was at and the whole time he refused to change what he's caught thousands of beaver on up north when he came south and he he really got humbled and embarrassed do you do you want to I, I i'm not trying do you want to elaborate on that what, what what have you personally noticed is different because i've only i've only trapped in new england I've trapped three states in New England for Beebird and a few other things here and there. But what is what is the difference between Chase and Southern Beavers? Because I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, it's it's a it's a selfish question because I have a I have some family. Um, it's my fiance's family down in uh, the Carolinas and Virginia and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I've been doing a little dreaming and scheming, staying up late with the calculator and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah. it's what. What would you, what would you, is there a way you can kind of, you know, sum up what, what the difference is between northern trapping? Because you've, you've trapped, what, 
20 some odd states at least 20, if not more 24 I think okay I wasn't far off no um what's what, the uh well you know, what's the, like a big difference between northern beaver and southern beaver you can make a caster mound 20 foot up a bank say in and I and I played around with this in an experiment when I trapped in Michigan back in the 90s mm-hmm. I could pull a beaver straight up a freaking almost cliffed bridge embutment 20 30 feet out of the water and catching yeah isn't it cool you, 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 you try that in the south and and you're going there's no beaver here if the water drops five feet and your caster mound was on the edge a lot of times you're 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 out of luck wow they don't so it's almost it's almost more like more like coyote tra- I, I so we have some snow up here where i'm trapping um and um i literally i had some some good lures some of yours and stuff and just the wind wasn't right and i had coyotes walk you know 10 10 feet from the set mm-hmm. so it's like it's almost like coyote trapping you're saying well they just don't respond to caster with the pure aggression and energy as they do up north hmm. it's it's a totally different thing if you come down here and try to just put 330s in front of caster you'll catch some beaver but you're not it's not going to be that impressive what about dam breaks do they respond to those as aggressively or no is it more like summer beaver beaver because i found personally if you're doing summer control sometimes the best thing you could do is pull traps and come back later Right. Because literally in the summer up here, you could drop the water to it wouldn't even cover your toes, and they're not even gonna they're not even gonna wink an eye at it. They don't care. They'll they'll live it. They'll they'll sit in their hut like fat pigs and eat aquatic vegetation and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And and they, they don't need to. But you come come fall, start getting some cold temps. Well, now that's their lifeline. Their water is their mm-hmm. their life, and they need it. Well, you know. Well, like where I'm at, if if you get a quarter inch of ice on a pond, you might as well just not check your traps. Yeah. A beaver, a beaver comes out and knocks his head on top of water, and he's going to go, "This is wrong," and he just goes back <laughs> home. You know, it's it's not gonna he's he's not gonna do anything. Right. And you you end up in the south having to be actually um, more like an otter trapper than you are a northern beaver trapper because of the the way they react to lure. There's a lot more oh, blind setting. Uh, there's uh, crossovers, not and as stuff showy. Like that. Yeah, it, different mm-hmm. stuff like that. You end up doing way more than that than you do plastering caster mounds around everywhere. You'll catch them. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not going to be as much. Interesting. Huh? That's incredible. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Top five, either top five states you've been to or top five states for trapping or fur trapping, whatever, what, what, what have you. What's your, what's, your, what's your top five if you're an aspiring state hopper, longliner, et cetera? Which, what is your, you've got to hit these five states? Uh, number one would be Louisiana. Because of the otter? Uh, no, just it's, it's an ex- it, you're in a different world. You're in a totally different world that you just need to experience. It's nothing like anywhere else. Um, Texas, if you're into the land trapping, Texas. I would say New Mexico, but they that's all got screwed up. Um, 
North Carolina is really cool out towards the coast. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, you start getting towards the brackish water, it, it gets really interesting. How so? Um, you've got to deal with tide, which is something that's very different for someone like me. And um, the animals seem to travel a whole lot more there where there's, where there's tide than, than they seem to do most other southern places. They move oh. around a lot more. Like, like here, a beaver will just keep reproducing and making babies in the same spot until someone kills them. There, they, they seem to just move around a lot. Huh? They're more they're more like transient. They seem to be, yeah. Hmm. It's almost like um, you mentioned beaver blitzkrieg, and I've personally noticed that if you have any sort of big water or even any any beaver flowages that are closer to big water, they're a little more. You know a little more transient or like um you know like, like uh it was last year last year I had a wicked drought up here and it seemed like all the beavers went to the big water because all the little flowages went down to nothing mm-hmm. and they i don't know they had a ceasefire or something they weren't they weren't beating the snot out of each other and then this year has been busier than ever before mm-hmm. yeah um i would i mean i really like trapping in mississippi and Arkansas and Louisiana, Mississippi and Arkansas all have a tremendous amount of fur. Right. Like probably five times what I have here. Huh. And it, and and despite the and this is a, we'll get into this later, but the uh the prices it's I mean Fur trapping's rough right now. Were you were you control trapping down there? Were you fur trapping down there? Or? A mixture. I, I was getting okay. paid for beaver tails, but I was also anything else went. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, is that five? That's. I think so. Okay. I mean, everywhere's got its its cool. You know, there's there's interesting stuff right. everywhere. Right. You. Uh, was it you that said? I forget who said it. But you move a hundred miles, and you got to relearn how to trap. Well, some, you know, sometimes, pretty much. Sometimes, so, I do. yeah. Which that that's that's exciting. You're like, all right, I got to do this. It's like starting over. It's that first that first animal where I think, you know, in and I mean this in the best way, but trappers are are almost like drug addicts. You know, the first time you connect. You know, my first beaver, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'll say it, I, it took me about a week and a half to catch that first beaver. And I was getting traps sprung. Granted, I was using cages, and I was using antiquated cages and heavily modified and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I don't know, you know what a Bailey's trap is? Mm-hmm. The fun thing, I call it like the Bailey's FU. Jeremiah's asked me to uh, keep the F-bombs to a minimum. Uh, we had a We had a podcast... Uh, kind of similar up at the main trapper's rendezvous and uh he had a he had a fair amount of editing he had to do mm-hmm. I could um, just keep it a, keep it a little family friendly you know we had talked to uh jim and judy comstock for about two hours two and a half hours and we we should have recorded that and god bless it we we met with some other new england trappers and uh we had been uh we had already been into the sauce a little bit for uh 
for for uh, the better part of the day. So the uh, the podcast that ensued was not not quite great, but I've, I I'm, I'm really trying for Jeremiah's sake to try to get Bob to him. Uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> the um, what are we talking about? State hopping, compared uh, states. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Well, you said they were trappers, are like drug addicts. Oh yeah, yeah, we're still chasing that first, that first one. You know mm-hmm. that 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 first critter, that first. Uh, you know the 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 hundredth beaver doesn't quite feel the same. Well, the hundredth is pretty good, but you know the hundredth isn't quite the same as the first one. You know, it, it's it's something I struggle with. I don't know if I don't know if I, this is probably a good question for you, but I I personally it's. I really try to not get jaded. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, we're taking an animal's life. Mm-hmm. You want to show respect to that animal, run your as you can. But when, you know, got half a dozen, a dozen beavers in the back of the truck, it's just chuck another one back there. You're just, you just, you know, stacking like cord. Do you, do you, uh, I'm not even sure this is a question, but this is something I, I struggle with that I, I want to, I mean, all, all the fur bears are incredible survivors, tough, amazing critters. You know, do you, do you struggle with that at all? Do you have yourself find do, do you ever get, you know, do you have to have moments where you're like, Oh, Hey, Oh, this is still, this is still something cathartic. And this mm-hmm. is still something that's, that's, you know, Every now and then, I, I, I get these moments where it's like, I got to remember that this is a this is a, a special thing that I'm doing, and it's a special thing. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness, thank God that we're able to do. You well, know, well, like, as, as you as you get older, that's you're going to realize that more and more. Really, like I'll be honest, I've, I've heard, I actually I've heard that. Yeah. I would I would have more of a thrill watching a cow or a cat or a coon work a set. And watch the whole thing, then I would catch in the animal. You know, like if I go deer hunting, I may see plenty of deer to shoot, but sometimes I just watch them. Now, 30 yeah. years ago, no, they'd all be dead. You're stacking everyone. I, I think when you're younger, you're more into. I think that's just the conquest. A, a natural the conquest thing almost. for. Yeah, of a male to do that. And as you get older, it, it's it's not quite the that that part is is not is not that important. You know, I, I I think every animal that I that I catch. Yeah. Because if not, it 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 turns into like picking corn or something. Right. It's not. It's it's not. Yeah. My um. I'm getting a little little wooey. My my friend my friend Philippe, um, who's been on this podcast, he does a podcast called Our Numinous Nature. It's a good listen. It's a little, um, it's a little woo wooey. Little gets into the little uh, spiritual realm a little too much, and a little the uh, supernatural realm a little more. But he's he's a really good guy and a phenomenal artist. Um, and he he was like, "Do you ever?" He's like, "You know, do you, do you ever like pray when you catch an animal or something like that?" And I was like, "Is sometimes." You know, it, it, it was a, it's a, it was a, it was a, it, it really took me off guard, the question, you know, mm-hmm. but I've, I've found just trying to have, you know, just trying to maintain that reverence because it's hard. 
it's really it really mm-hmm. is hard and I, I'm, I'm you know being totally honest but when you have when you're when your job is to kill every last one of them it's very easily you know you can get an us against them mentality you forget the specialness of these creatures mm-hmm. and and how amazing their fur is and how amazing the meat is and how it, it's you know he said it he said it best you know he had a guy that told him you know, trapping trapping can be hard on the man's soul you know and I, I i i do feel that so it's it's really um refreshing i think to to hear that you know well and, and you also you have those you have those thoughts too it's not it's you know we we, we know I, we're i doing, think everybody does and when you when you get older and you talk to other older guys it, it becomes more obvious, and it's not any different than someone that works. I had an uncle that owned a slaughter slaughterhouse in Alabama, and I'll never forget a story that he told me because he, you know, they the, it was a private slaughterhouse, and they were shooting them. This was back before he had all these hydraulic guns and all that stuff sure. that they do now, and so yeah, yeah. they would pop them in the head with a twenty-two. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I've been doing that for years." And he said, something happened on this cow where my hand was on it when I shot it. And he goes, I had, I couldn't sleep for three or four days. He said, it was so different. And he really started getting out of the business after that. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just, you know, if if you're. Well, I think, I think it's a, I think it's an important talk to have because. You know, and this might go even back to like the man strong thing. Like, we as trappers are boots on the ground conservationists. Mm-hmm. You know, we we know. You know, I I didn't grow up in this. I wasn't indoctrinated into this. I, as an adult, said I'm going to be a trapper. I wasn't I wasn't born a trapper, but goddamn, I'm sure going to die a trapper. Mm. You know, and we had to we had to you know many of us had to take these things and, and, and figure out and the, the semantics of them all. And it is a complicated thing because I think I know, I know you do, and I know I do, and I know all the listeners here, you know, we love these animals Mm -hmm. and, and we, and we kill them. And that's, that's a, that's a complicated relationship. It's very complicated. So it's just, I, I, I don't know. I really, I, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent there, but it just, you know, you know, it's God bless them all. You know, God bless all these trappers. And, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of that brotherhood and that sisterhood. You know what I'm saying? That's just, you know, I, I had a, you know, we're literally boots on the ground conservationists. That's the most, incredible thing and not to not to slight anglers or hunters or anything like that but we're the ones that are actually you know doing doing the things that we need to 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 make sure that wildlife is abundant and healthy in mm-hmm. america in perpetuity so well the, it's just really cool man it's 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 really cool have, um have you ever seen the original point break the movie Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Keanu Reeves and, and, and Patrick Swayze. My favorite scene where he fires the gun in the air. Okay. No, well, the one I was, the scene I'm talking about explains what you were just trying to say to other trappers. He goes out with that girl at night, and he's not really good at surfing. And he finally mm-hmm. gets up, and 
and if you've ever talked to someone that surfs a lot, it's a, it's almost like a spiritual thing to do. I've never surfed, but I can't say I have either. But Count Reeves gets up. It's only him and that girl he's with out there, and he's trying to describe what he feels. And she goes, "You don't have to. We all know it." Wow. And I think that's the the, the killing part of trapping when you're talking to other trappers. I don't know how you describe Hemingway tried over several books to describe hunting, killing an animal that you love. But we all, mo, most guys, unless something's turned off in their brain, I think we we get it. That's really yeah, wow. Well, let's lighten the mood a little bit. That's well, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get off here, brother. My wife's I think dinner's ready like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Oh, geez. All right. Um, well, let me ask. Can I give you one more? Sure. Oh, there's a bunch I want to ask you. But what do you think the best thing we can do as trappers to maintain our livelihoods, maintain our, our, our heritage, our lifestyle? What, what What's the best thing we can do? Take people with you. Yeah. Outreach and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And when you do meet someone that's not sure about what we do, don't turn into a lawyer or aggressive, even though that's the nature of the country right now. Talk right. to them like a human being and just explain it in a way that they can probably understand without it being aggressive. Yeah, right. It's the people in the middle, and I've said this before on this podcast and other places. There's trappers on one side, there's those animal rights extremists on the other side, but most people are in the middle. Mm -hmm. And if you take the time to talk with them and educate them, it really it really does make a, make a difference. And, you know, that now they now they know a trapper. They know Clint or they know Pat or they know whoever, you know, mm -hmm. they have that and it's actually, you know, they can put a face with like, oh, Pat's, you know, Pat's not a cold-blooded killer, you know. Clint's not a cold-blooded killer, you know. Um, hey man, I'm I'm so appreciative. This has been this has been truly incredible. Um, you're you're one of my my idols in the industry. I look up to you a bunch, and um, I'd really like to do this again sometime. I hope we could talk more. Maybe talk about some different stuff. Okay. Um, I'll let you get off to dinner and and head on your way. But dude, thank you so much. It it really means the world to me. You're more than welcome, man. All right, brother. All right, hey. Tight chains, and I, I hope you uh, you hammer some beaver. That's what you're getting after right now, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, you get after them, and uh, and uh, yeah, you have a good rest of your night. All right. All right, man. All right. Peace, brother. See you. Are you still there?